Welcome to Tammy's Ferrocino Journal Club Casino Podcast, hosted by Tammy Ferrocino. That's some real upbeat music we got there going on. Uh, welcome everyone to per- oh, what's that? Magic's fun. <laughs> Okay, well, welcome. I haven't done my uh, YouTube thing yet. Welcome to Perp Web 79. Is that right? Day three? 79. The 73rd day of the 79th Perp Web. That's amazing that we have come this far. Wait till we ha- we're at 100. I can't wait. We're going to have something special go on during that period of time. Anyway, let me get through uh, all of our various different little comments, and then we'll get started on the program. So to contact us, you've got contact at perfusioneducation.com. You already guys already know that. You got our contact number. Check out the scroll bar and call in. We're still waiting. Anyone calls in, we're spinning the wheel 10 times, okay? I'm going to get people to call in. It's going to happen one day. The phone's going to, we're going to need a second phone line before long. Um, The scroll bar that you see down below there, it has all of the information you need about the social media platforms. And I need to tell you, this is the first day, the first program that we are, Magic just told me, that we are live streaming to LinkedIn. So I want to welcome our LinkedIn viewers. Um, uh, This is a real special day. It's your inaugural. uh, And so welcome to the PerfWeb platform and program. I hope you enjoyed today. Uh, The MediWeb app, you go on the Apple Store, you could go on the, um, the App Store, you could go on the Google Play Store, and you can check out our app. There's two apps. One is the Critical Care Perfusion app. Uh, which is great for getting your pump cases ready in the morning or afternoon, whatever the case may be, for critical care nurses, for ECMO specialists, for critical care docs. And then there's the uh, standalone app, which is incorporated in the big app, uh, and that's the uh, IV rate and dosage calculator. That is a fantastic app. But you get both with the critical care app. You get only that with the smaller app. One's $2.99. The other one's $0.99. Cents. Uh, no need to buy them both if you buy the bigger one, uh, which I recommend that you do. And uh, it's only $2.99. I say it all the time. I only need to sell 999999 more, uh, and I'll be able to retire. Uh, our podcasts, your favorite podcast streaming software, whatever that may be, you can go on there and you can listen to us while you're driving down the road. All of our programs are podcasted, so uh, you can listen to the program on your way to work, on your way to the bowling alley, on your way while you're walking around the grocery store with your headphones on, whatever the case may be. I think uh, it's a great uh, opportunity for you to hear our dialogue uh, and the data, you may not see the diagrams, obviously, but the data is still, I think, in the opinions, the expert opinions are, uh, are very worthwhile in that regard. So I want to, uh, again, welcome you and to introduce, of course, Tammy. We all know Tammy. The Tammy Sparacino Journal Club is uh, what we were doing. Tammy reminded me yesterday that she did not want it named her name, the Tammy Sparacino Journal Club. But we were go- we, that's the only way we could have done it. And, uh, and, uh, it, it, she has done what, which one, which one is this for you? The, which journal club is this? I think it's 30 or 31. 31. Wow. That's impressive. Okay. So today's topic is a, 
is, a, is going to be a deep dive into neurocognitive decline and cardiac surgery. Is this a distraction uh, rather than destruction? And uh, just as a quick side note, I will say that neurocognitive uh, 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 issues following cardiac surgery, though way better than they were long ago and what we consider acceptable when you compare it to the whole country, much in the same way I think we look at AKI uh, or acute renal failure and that uh, uh, worse, is that it's good when you compare it to everyone, but it could be better. And I think those are going to be some, hopefully you're going to answer some of those questions. Mm -hmm. Okay, very good. Tammy Sparacino. Welcome everyone. Thanks for joining us this morning. So as Joe um, mentioned, today we're going to be discussing a commentary article that was published in the Journal of Cardiac Surgery in October 2021. So it's very current. Um, the title, Neurocognitive Decline in Cardiac Surgery, Distraction Rather Than Destruction. It is um, published by uh, Dr. Caldo, uh, well, I, nope. Caldonazo. I don't want your help in this one, but yeah, thank you. No problem. You told me your eyes were tearing up. <laughs> My eyes are having... tearing up today, so you guys are going to have to forgive me. I'm having a little bit of trouble reading. And he is out of Germany, Jenna, Germany, in the Department of Cardiothoracic Surgery in Friedrich Schiller University. All right. So let's talk about the abstract background. A neurocognitive decline is an undesirable event that can be observed in patients after cardiac surgery. It has been related to the use of cardiopulmonary bypass. Minor, embolic, or hyperinflammatory mechanisms are thought to be responsible. In this issue of Journal of, Cardiothoracic, of Cardiac Surgery, rather, their neurocognitive decline was observed in 22 of 30 patients after cardiac surgery with the use of CPB. Repeatable neuropsychological status tests or status tests were done and scores of four days after surgery were 5 to 15% lower than before. Um, mech uh, mechanistic uh, investigations with uh, glycemic control and transcriptomic and cytokine analysis failed to provide an explanation, but the frequency of the observation is worrisome. Discussion, however, uh, available evidence suggests that neurocognitive dysfunction disappears within a few months and later on no difference to controls that did not undergo surgery can be detected. In addition, similar, similar degrees of neurocognitive dysfunction can be observed after non-cardiac surgery and even after percutaneous coronary intervention. A most recent comparison of memory decline after cabbage and PCI also suggests no difference between the two invasive treatment options for coronary artery disease. All of these findings argue against a primary CPB-associated mechanism. Interestingly, test subjects from a consumer investigation showed a 10% decline in working memory just by placing their cell phone on a table suggesting that being distracted may also affect neurocognitive function. Given this reversibility of surgery and 
intervention-associated neurocognitive dis dysfunction, we question destructive, embolic, or inflammatory-associated mechanisms and dis uh, considered distractive uh, aspects of intervention-associated stress may also play a role. Their conclusion is, in any case, neurocognitive decline after cardiac surgery does not appear to be surgery-specific. That's very interesting. Yeah. That, I find that fascinating. That is a very good abstract yeah. and very provocative, very thought-stimulating uh, uh, thought. Okay. As I said, this is a commentary, so um, we don't really have any data to display, but we do have some interesting things to talk about. So I'm going to read to you some selections from the specific commentary, which is just a page long, and we'll talk about why this paper is published. Um, so the authors you know, how to look at an article that was published in the same journal in the same month that was looking at whether or not um, glycemic control affected neurocognitive decline. And they, th those authors did not find that it did. They, ha they had little difference between the control group and uh, the ones that were, uh, did not have control for their glycemic. Um, but haven't we normally done that for infection? Isn't that more of an infection? Control no, um, from what I could, what I could read was uh, it, they're trying to link all of this to um, certain genes that then cause uh, the inflammatory response, mm -hmm. and they're also looking. They like to look at that with diabetes. Uh -huh. Okay. So that's what they were kind of looking at. Although I didn't uh, bring that article to discuss, I in my research that's what I found that a lot of them, uh, a lot of research has been done in that area. But what they talk about specifically in this commentary is how um, it, uh, you know. I'll, I'll read you this one paragraph. Okay, cardiopulmonary bypass is a key component in most surgical procedures, uh, or in Cardiopulmonary bypass is a key component in most surgical procedures as it provides the basis for safe conduct of all the different techniques to address cardiac conditions. However, CPB has also been associated with undesirable adverse effects by causing, for, insta for instance, coagulation disorders, inflammatory response syndrome, neurological events uh, in varying degrees, even mild changes in neurocognitive function are often attributed to the use of CPB, suggesting that minor particulate or minor air embolism affects cerebral function. For decades, conditions known such as airhead or pumphead were considered a given risk and just part of the package for being able to use CPB. And, and, and I don't mean to interrupt you, but I think that was something that when we were using very rudimentary bubble oxygenators... Correct. Um, that was, uh, that, I do believe that was a real thing. Right. No, absolutely. Changed tremendously, but I think it was a real thing. Right. With the advent of alter, uh, alternative treatment strategies, which they may be alluding to, you know, whether it be, uh, off pump or just the, um, techniques that have advanced with pumps, um, the ever-growing portfolio of interventional techniques not requiring CPB, um, and other, um, uh, other advancements, subs, such complications may receive new value and new attention. Okay, so then they talk about the issue, uh, the article that they are making a commentary on. So, um, 
neurocognitive decline in patients undergoing cardiac surgery using CPB as the subject was performed. Um, these patients had performed repeatable battery assessment of neurological st uh, status test pre and four days postoperatively. These tests assess changes in short and long-term memory, language, attention, global cognition, and uh, visuospatial function. They found that 22 of the 30 patients examined showed significant decline in neurocognitive function. Scores at four days after surgery were often 5 to 15% lower than before surgery. The authors excluded a possible relation to glycemic control, but were unable to provide more revealing insights despite sophisticated transcriptomic uh, and cytokine analysis. Um, irrespective of possible molecular mechanisms explaining this finding, the fact that three-quarters of the patients appear to experience neurocognitive decline after cardiac surgery is highly disturbing and requires deeper investigation. The good news is frequent clinical conditions of this neurocognitive function decline is usually restored after three months, and at one year, the cognitive function is undistinguishable from patients that did not undergo um, cardiopulmonary bypass. In addition, postoperative um, neurologic dysfunction is common in all types of surgery, and its incidence is described between 5 and 15%. Certain high-risk groups, such as a hip fracture patient, may reach up to 60%. Thus, the association to the use of cardiopulmonary bypass may not be as clear as previously thought. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, think I think that, that makes, makes a lot of sense to me. To me. Um, I, I think, think surgery in and of itself is stress-inducing. Correct. Anesthesia, we don't, uh, we believe we know the effects of, of, of general anesthesia, but uh, how much of that contributes. But one thing that you said that it has me a little bit confused, and maybe you can clarify it, is if you're comparing this person to that person and saying that there's no difference in, in uh, uh, neurologic uh, status, are they comparing the patient to themselves preoperatively, or they're comparing it to a control group? No, they're comparing it to themselves, but what, because people have different baselines, right? But what they're talking about is the incidence of neurocognitive decline in patients that had cardiopulmonary bypass after one year. They have a control group that had tests done, you know, initially. And then one year later also had tests done, just like the people um, who had CPB, and there was no distinguishable difference in the decline that occurred in people that had CPB versus people who did not have CPB. Okay, so the decline is just a natural decline right. as opposed to... Or none to, at all. Or none at all. Right. So that, that's kind of the point, is that although CPB may cause temporary neurocognitive decline, um, at three months, you can already see most of it has returned, and then at one year, it is indistinguishable from their baseline. And then they're also saying that it may not be the CPB. Right, that's the whole so point. So they're just saying that following cardiac surgery or following... Surgery. Surgery. Right, following an intervention of some kind is what they're alluding to. Yeah, that okay. makes a lot... Of, I mean, I think that's, that's very telling. 
Okay, I'll read you just a little bit more because this, this is a really great commentary. The neurocognitive decline has also been reported in intervention uh, patient populations. In patients with uh, non-STEMI, for instance, undergoing PCIs, its incidence has been reported at 28.8%. Can you say that one more time? So in patients that have a non-STEMI that then had a PCI, the incidence of neurocognitive decline has been reported at 28%. Wow. So even non-surgical, but just some kind of intervention, mm -hmm. some, something invasive done. Mm -hmm. That's high. I wouldn't have thought it was that high. Yeah. A recent cohort study from the American Health and Retirement Study on 16, uh, or on 1,680 patients above 65 years of age assessed the change in the rate of memory decline after cabbage or PCI. The authors found no difference between the two treatment options in the rate of memory decline. So what they're saying is surgery or intervention have the same rate of decline. Wow. For people over the age of 65. That's who they looked at. They did not compare the results to a cohort that did not undergo an invasive um, uh, coronary artery disease treatment, but the lack of differences in this long term between cabbage and PCI questions again the specific technical aspect of surgery as the sole cause for neurocognitive dysfunction. Current literature suggests that neurocognitive outcomes may be due to a hyperinflammatory uh, state, which may be common denominator between all these observations. Um, let's see. Uh, okay, so one author uh, based their hypothesis on the inflammatory scenario and therefore investigated diabetic patients and glycemic control where a pro-inflammatory condition is supplemented by the use of CPB. So these diabetics already have a, a pro-inflammatory pro um, condition going on, sure. and then you put them on CPB, and so he tried to compare those and see how they affected each other. The findings, as well as the other observations of the neurocognitive dysfunction in the absence of CPB, question if CPB is a key contributor to the incidence of neurocognitive dysfunction and argue against a strictly embolic nature of the complications. Mm -hmm. um, while the, the present study that they're commenting on is too small to, uh, to draw definitive conclusions, the findings may be used to question the role of cytokines, gene expression, and glycemic control as causes for perioperative cognitive dysfunction. They suggest future studies need to address the inflammatory states and how it affects neurocognitive decline and brain function as a whole. Okay. In this line of thinking may support alternate assessment of this phenomenon. Embolic and inflammatory mechanisms may trigger loss of cerebral function by destruction of cerebral tissues or cells. But what if surgical stress affects the allocation of cognitive capacities so that neurocognitive decline at four days after cardiac surgery would not be the result of embolic or inflammatory, but rather distractive mechanism? And this is, the, I think, the most interesting thing they discuss in this whole um, commentary. It is interesting to review a recent publication from a consumer marketing area um, subjected consumers to mental ability test in the presence or the absence of their cell phones. 
It's striking to note that the test subject's working memory or ability to solve riddles experienced a 10% decline just by having their cell phone placed on the uh, table in front of them versus having it uh, removed into another room. It may be accidental that the amount of functional decline due to the distraction was similar to the neurocognitive decline measured in the above study four days after cardiac surgery using CPB where the destructive mechanism is entertained. Although the, uh, the many different tests and characteristics used and assessed may not be directly comparable, such a consideration may be able to explain why postoperatively neurocognitive decline is temporary, reversible, and not affected by diabetes, nor different between surgical or other interventional procedures. Therefore, the authors ask whether neurocognitive decline after cardiac surgery may be due to mental distraction other, uh, rather than cellular destruction. I, now I know what's wrong with me. <laughs> Magic, can you take my phone out of here, please? Now I know what's wrong. Okay, so let's... At least I have a reason. I didn't click ahead here. So mm -hmm. what were the problems to be dissolved? They were looking at whether or not it, we're actually destroying cells, hypothesizing. Is it more of an inflammatory... Uh, or embolic um, destruction of cells, or could it be something as mere as you're extremely distracted? You've gone through these these big procedures. Stressful. stressful you're in a moments. stressed heart moment. surgery is not a toenail mm -hmm. removed. Right, and how how their methods and procedures? This was just a commentary, so they looked at current literature, and then we of course heard their conclusions. As should we be also looking at whether or not this is more of a mental distraction status? Okay, so that led me to this other article, which is an excellent article, and it is way above my pay grade for discussing, but there are some things in here that I think we could discuss and will lead to some uh, interesting discussions afterwards comparing the two. So this article was published in the Biomedicine um, article. It's part of the Lancet Discovery Science uh, online series. It's Surgery, Neuroinflammation, and Cognitive Impairment. It's by um, alum and uh, colleagues, published in 2018. Okay, here's the abstract. Trauma experienced during surgery can contribute to the development of systemic inflammatory response that can cause multi-organ dysfunction or even failure. Post-surgical neuroinflammation is documented phenomenon that results in synaptic impairment, neuronal dysfunction and death, and impaired neurogenesis. Various pro-inflammatory cytokines, such as uh, tumor necro uh, necro uh, necrosis, factor. necrosis factor, thank TNF you. TNF-alpha. Yeah, alpha. M maintain a um, state of chronic neuroinflammation manifesting as post-operative cognitive dysfunction, post-operative delirium. Furthermore, elderly patients with post-operative cognitive dysfunction or delirium are three times more likely to experience permanent cognitive impairment or dementia. We conducted a narrative review considering evidence extracted from various databases, including PubMed, Medline, and Embase, as well as journals and book reference lists. We found the further preclinical and well-documented clinical studies are reviewed to 
we found that further preclinical and well-powered clinical studies are required to delineate the precise pathogenesis of postoperative delirium and cognitive dysfunction. Despite the burden of postoperative neurological uh, sequ uh, sequelae, Sequelae. Gosh, I'm ha I have the worst it's okay. time. Sequelae. Sequelae. Clinical studies investigating therapeutic agents such as, oh, here we go. Just say DEX. DEX, ibuprofen, and statins have yielded conflicting results. That's Presidex. Yes. Yes, it is. Um, in addition, evidence supporting novel therapeutic avenues such <coughs> as <coughs> nicotinite. <laughs> Nicotinic. I'm having the worst That's time. That's okay. HMGB1 targeting remote um, is ischemic preconditioning is limited and necessitates further investigation. Okay. So we got through that. Now here's a few things that I want to discuss. They have this great image where they talk about what happens after post-operative systemic inflammatory response, SEERS. So the cardiovascular system, you have lower contractility uh, and lower SVR due to inflammation. You and have we see that. That's, that's kind of like having, uh, having uh, 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 the refractory hypotension that right. we see from this massive vasodilatory effect. Right. Hypotension, hyperperfusion. You have increased uh, myocyte apoptosis and cardiac remodeling. Um, and looking specifically at the nervous system, which is, of course, going to affect the brain, which is what we're discussing today, is you have increased uh, uh, the blood-brain barrier permeability, you have direct cytokine-mediated me uh, neuronal injury, activation of the micro, uh, um, microglia. microglia, thank you, delirium and long-term cognitive dysfunction. Okay. Here is uh, another diagram, an uh, illustration, just showing kind of what happens to the brain cells. So you'll see that um, you have your surgery, then you have your, um, your damps and your uh, PAMPs, which uh, damps is uh, damage. Uh, uh, there are two types of proteins that the um, body can uh, two types of proteins that the body can identify through toll-like receptors, the TLRs, and they're indicative of cell death, okay? So what happens is these things are then identified and then uh, in the cells, and you then have um, apoptosis and TM uh, TNF-alpha uh, uh, can be measured. So you have uh, cells dying, you have hippocampal neurogenesis, you have a loss of synaptic connection, you have impaired synaptic plasticity, which leads to post-operative cognitive dysfunction and a higher risk of Alzheimer's. Okay. So here's um, just one table. We're just going to touch on a few things. Um, so the pathogenesis of SEERS following surgical trauma and other diseases. So Stage one, you have initial localized inflammation to limit further injury and promote site healing following surgical trauma, infection, burns, various other conditions, okay? So in that state, everything is sort of a local inflammatory response re responding to activation, okay? So you're going to have uh, macrophages, neutrophils, all of that going to the site of the injury. Stage two, 
you're going to have activation of early compensatory uh, anti-inflammatory response called CARS, um, a, uh, aims to restore the um, uh, immu immunologic balance. So CARS um, is what happens there is you have um, lymphocytes um, working with, um, against apoptosis, and they're trying to dampen everything that's going on, trying to return to that normal state. When you're in CARS, it causes a decrease in leukocyte antigen uh, presenting receptors on monocytes as well as increased production of specific cytokines such as IL-10 that act to suppress TNF expression. Okay? Ultimately, you're trying to restore normal uh, uh, immunological balance and response. Homeostasis. Right. You're trying to restore homeostasis. Okay. So when you're in stage three, this is the overactive pro-inflammatory Sears reaction predominates over the anti-inflammatory response. So it causes endothelial dysfunction, increased mycovascular permeability, profound vasodilation. You'll have the activation of the co uh, a coagulation system um, and other cytokines, specific, specifically um, IL-6, stimulate the release of acute phase reactants such as C-reactive protein. Okay? Stage four. The anti-inflammatory response is upregulated in order to um, uh, compensate for the vigor of the systemic pro-inflammatory response, and the CARS eventually becomes excessive with profound immunosuppression or uh, immune par uh, paralysis. Stage five is prolonged dysregulation of Sears and CARS response. This stage is referred to as the immunologic dissonance. dissonance. The prolonged action of pro-inflammatory cytokines such as TNF, IL-1 directly alter endothelial surfaces resulting in increased expression of a tissue factor. This initiates the production of thrombin, pro promoting coagulation, and also acts as a pro-inflammatory mediator itself. TNF alpha and IL-1 promote the production of uh, plasminogen activator inhibitor 1, which then uh, inhibits the process of fibrinolysis. Okay, so this is a pro-coagulate uh, state. It's further upregulated via the complement cascade, which disrupts the activation of antithrombin 3. So you have this <coughs> it's a back and massive pro-inflammatory right. storm mm -hmm. going on, and then you have your compensatory uh, inflammatory processes, anti-inflammatory processes, which suppress your, you be, become immunologically suppressed. Right. And then you still have all these massive inflammatories, and it's this this rise in both of these mm -hmm. results in a very bad outcome. Right. So it's you start uh, with getting uh, uh, infla uh, inflammatory response, and then the body reacts with the cars, and then the sears will, if you pr proceed along this pathway, will then amp up again, and then cars will amp up again, and then finally, you, if you're still a haven't uh, found a balance, then you're in stage four, where everything is just out of whack, trying to control each other. And this is something that, it's off topic, I hope you don't mind, but this is something that we have, um, that one of the reasons for high volume uh, continuous veno-veno-hemofiltration, mm -hmm. not dialysis right uh but using replacement fluid and having 
values that are much higher up in the 35 to 45 cc's per kilogram per hour of effluent and replacement volume. It's to remove all to, of these mediators, right? Right. You will remove the pro-inflammatory mediators, mm -hmm. but you will also remove the anti-inflammatory mediators. Whichever is higher, because the concentration is higher, you will remove preferentially, right. right? But at some point, you reach that balance that you're looking for in the body by removing them. Now, sometimes these inflammatory mediators are too large for the uh, hemoconcentrator or the CBVH filters mm -hmm. that exist, which have cutoffs about the high, I think the, the, uh, the larger size goes up to 60,000 Daltons, if I remember right, 50 to, 50, 50 is normal. Mm -hmm. I think they go up to 60 or 65, because you don't want to remove proteins. And albumin's right at about 60, 65 uh, uh, KD. But um, if you take the, uh, if you use those, the plasma, the Mars system, the molecular adsorption recirculation system, where you're actually, or the cytosorb, this is what oh, the cytosorb, cytosorb is for. Is, that's what cytosorb is for. Mm -hmm. Whether it be the Mars system, which is a little different than cytosorb, because the Mars system removes plasma from the red cells and then you ultrafiltrate the plasma as well as run it through an ad adsorption filter and then reconstitute right. it comes the plasma back in on and the, the red side. cells yeah. back into the patient. Whereas the cytosorb is a whole blood uh, 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 cleansing process, hmm. filtering process, so or adsorption process is a more appropriate term. So it's very interesting because this is something I think that we really don't think about it. And, and, and I don't want to, uh, are you ready to discuss this? No, I've got a couple more points. I'm sorry, let me stop talking. Okay. No, I, I think that's all, I'm sorry. that's all important, especially when we're talking about, um, you know, this whole pathway that, that goes on. After that results you, in death. Right. It will. Okay. So here's just some, like I said, this is a very lengthy article, but there are some things I thought were interesting to apply to our, um, the article that we are discussing. So consequences of neuroinflammation. Post-surgical neuroinflammation causes a variety of structural functional alterations, and these are the ones that are most important so, and that cause the, have the biggest effect. So you have synaptic dysfunction, you have neuro, uh, neuro, neuronal. neuronal death, mm -hmm. neurogenesis impairment, and GSK3 uh, dysregulation. I don't know what that is. It's, um, I, I have it right here. Thank you. It's uh, glycogen synth uh, synthase kinase 3. It's a serine uh, therinine uh, protein kinase, which possesses significant pro-inflammatory effects within the brain. So it can cause it, if it's in dysregulation status, uh, it can cause the brain to become pro-inflammatory, which gotcha. is not good. Okay. As a selective organ, not necessarily right. systemically. As, right, as a selective organ. Correct. So just talking just briefly about the uh, synaptic dysfunction. So synaptic impairment has classically been considered a characteristic feature of a late stage neurogeneration. Uh, it has more recently been heralded as an early indicator of dementia progression. Surgical trauma results in the pathological activation of um, astrocytes, thus causing the release of pro-inflammatory cytokines and subsequent synaptic dysfunction. So what they're saying there is 
when you have synaptic dysfunction, um, that that is an indicator. Uh, it releases pro-inflammatories, pro and then that can be an indicator of dementia progression. Uh -huh. And all of this can be caused by surgical trauma. Just by the stress of surgery itself. Right. Again, general anesthesia, incisions, well, yeah, well, opening the belly. It, this is specifically Joints. talking about surgical. We'll get to anesthesia, I think, shortly. There's a, another discussion about that. So, okay, then um, neuronal death. So the process of post-surgical neuroinflammation also involves several pro-apoptotic uh, pathways and activation of TNF, which will signal uh, promotion of apoptosis. Increased TNF correlates with increased um, hippocampal neuron apoptosis. Okay, so just having surgery um, can also cause this, the stress of it. Recent studies have identified that peripheral surgery causes a reduction in cerebral acetylcholine, thus triggering, triggering a complex neuroinflammatory response. Okay, so if you'll notice, the theme here is pro-inflammatory is the result of surgery and causing different things. Neurogenesis impairment. Neurogenesis describes the maturation and differentiation of neuroprogenitor cells to neurons. This process of neurogenesis is confined to subventricular zone of the walls. Pro-inflammatory cytokines can inhibit neurogenesis. So in other words, the pro-inflammatory is now going to stop um, neurons from uh, being in the pre-neurogenesis stage developing fully, mm -hmm. okay? And then the last thing, the GSK3 uh, dysregulation. So um, a positive correlation between GSK3 concentration and blood-brain barrier permeability has been demonstrated and can facilitate the migration of leukocytes across the BBB. Okay, so and that's a problem. It's a big problem. The migration of leukocytes, whether it be through the blood-brain barrier or in the cases where we are very much involved, and you look at ARDS uh, pulmonary-wise, mm -hmm. and uh, we frequently—that is what you see—is just a massive infiltration of leukocytes right. into the alveolar capillary wall. And uh, and I mean, of course, you have you know uh, you have. Uh, 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 asthma which is uh from uh from neutrophils right, right? Neutrophils. so neutrophilic asthma so there's a lot of this 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 phenomenon this inflammatory process that happens with the uh uh white blood cell leukocyte right and we could uh, look at this this article actually looks at all aspects not just the brain but i'm just concentrating on the the brain aspect since mm -hmm. that's what we are initially discussing um, next, we're going to talk a little bit about the post-surgical neuroinflammation reduced neuro um, disorders. So this is where we're talking. We can talk a little bit about an anesthesia. So the first part, post-operative delirium or POD. Um, we're all familiar with delirium as an acute um, com uh, confusion uh, state that is characterized by fluctuating nature and reversibility associated with dysfunctional mental state and inattention typical time and, and a typical time course. A diagnosis is usually made when the patient conveys differentiating per, uh, perceptions. POD has an incidence of 37 to 46 percent, differs on um, the type of surgical procedure carried out, and can be as high as 51 percent. Adverse effects are often common, uh, include uh, increased length of stay, associated health care costs, and increased mortality. 
Anesthesia has classically been considered the major contributor to postoperative delirium. Some animal studies indicate that surgery-induced inflammation may be a significant cause of POD. Um, associated neurological impairment as well. So just having surgery can cause delirium because of these uh, pro-inflammatories. Next, we'll talk a little bit about the post-operative cognitive dysfunction, POCD. So due to the surgery-induced systemic inflammatory response, patients may suffer from POCD. It's usually observed in the immediate post-operative period and manifest as transient disturbance in cognition. The, the disturbance presents as a spectrum um, from le, um, lethargy to social withdrawal and reduced concentration to severe cognitive dysfunction. It also can um, fluctuate co uh, consciousness and the sleep-wake cycle irregularities. Elderly patients do have a higher incidence of POCD. Um, patients um, age 60 and older, the rates can be as high as 40%. An increase in, in pro-inflammatory cytokines intraoperatively potentially short-term um, cognitive impair. The increase from pro-inflammatory cytokines intraoperatively potenti uh, potentiates short-term cognitive impairment. In addition, reports from animal studies have suggested TNF, mediated dysfunction of the uh, blood-brain barrier and subsequent migration of leukocytes into the hippocampus have the ability to cause memory impairment. POCD is more common following a major surgery and in the presence of post-operative complications. It's traditionally considered a complication that occurs following cardiac surgery, but um, epidemiologically, evidence suggests that the condition is also prevalent following various other surgery procedures, including abdominal surgery. Both surgical trauma and neurogenitive disorders are associated with this increased cytokine release. And then lastly, we're going to talk just a little bit about other uh, neurodegenerative conditions. Alzheimer's disease is a chronic uh, neurodegenerative uh, condition is most frequently diagnosed form of dementia. Both POCD and Alzheimer's share the common feature of increased, um, uh, oh, sorry, lost my place, increased uh, microglial uh, activity, which ultimately results in profound neuroinflammation. It is important to consider the fact that these inflammatory processes are not resolved as effectively in elderly patients in compared to younger population. Therefore, it is hypothesized that due to this process, um, whereby the accumulation of abnormally folded proteins and neurodegenerative um, Due to change, oh, due to um, changes and re that result in abnormal. Um, uh, microglial activation and multiplication. This may explain why retrospective studies have suggested that the rates of POCD and postoperative dementia are higher in older patients. And that's it. Then this article goes into a whole bunch of stuff about novel uses for specific um, medications that we'll leave for another time. Mm -hmm. Very good. So, you know, just, just from, a, from a commonsensical perspective, if I, can, if I may. Mm-hmm. We're going to take a patient who is, whose heart's beating, they have a relatively normal blood pressure, they may be on some medications, maybe they do have 
uh, diabetes. We'll say it's diet controlled. We're gonna bring them into the operating room. We're going to make a big incision in their chest, saw their sternum open, put a retractor in it and yank it open, cut the pericardium, put stitches in the heart in various locations, insert these tubes. We're going to then divert their blood supply uh, in its entirety to our venous reservoir of our, of our cardiopulmonary bypass system. We're gonna turn on our uh, uh, arterial flow. We're gonna start flowing. We're gonna change their hematocrit from whatever it was to whatever it is, which is going to be lower mm -hmm. by a, you know, varying degrees, depending on how much prime you have at your pump and whether you put blood in it or not and all that kind of thing. But you're going to have a, an acute hemodilution effect, regardless of how minimal it is, it's still going to be a hemodilution effect. Okay. You're gonna, of course, take away the pulsatile flow and the pump, no heart-lung machine is going to be able to, and it's really not because of the heart-lung machine not being able to do it or the centrifugal pump. It's more because of the, the aorta is usually, you know, three and a half centimeters, is that about right? Three and a half, three to four centimeters, somewhere around there. And our cannula is, you know, at best 22 French, much smaller. So it's very hard to generate that same pulse that you would from a left ventricle mm -hmm. going into the aortic, you know, aortic, uh, the, the out, left ventricular outflow tract through the aortic valve into the aorta, much larger. You would have to have a cannula that same size and tubing all that same size. And the length of it and all of that is going to have an effect. So your pulse is, you know, from bypass is not physiologic, you know, no matter what you even if you Try use pulse tau flow and all even, of these it's things. It's not physiologic. Right. Um, I don't know why we do it, but we, some people think that it really makes a difference. It, it doesn't. Um, Your opinion. Yes, my, my expert opinion at that. Mm -hmm. uh, so, but we're gonna do that to you. So we're gonna take away your pulsatility. We're going to uh, dilute you. We're gonna cool you. We're going to- um, Maybe. Yeah. We're gonna put a clamp on your aorta. Think about the baroreceptors and the chemoreceptors that have now been completely thrown out of whack, at least transiently. Um, we're gonna change, you know, your right atrial pressure is gonna to go to zero from let's say seven or six, seven, eight, ten, somewhere in that range. And so you're gonna have receptors that are gonna sense that as well. You're they're gonna see it themselves as very empty and there's a reaction to that. So we do all of this. Mm -hmm. It's very difficult for me to say what we're doing is not causing harm. Well, it is. Yes, that's exactly, yes, that's my point. It's, I don't think anyone would argue with that. It's the degree of harm we cause and what are our mitigation strategies for that harm? Um, how does it affect the brain? One of the things that recently came up in a, in a situation that I'm, I'm, I'm involved in is if we let the blood pressure drop to, you know, the, the brain auto-regulates very well, but if your blood pressure gets below a certain range or your flow to end pressure get below a certain range, you now need a higher, a capillary opening pressure to get flow going to the brain. Okay. So 
how long is the blood flow to the brain? Because we have those episodes happen all the time. Turn the flow down, turn the pump off. And you do that and we make some maneuvers. And although it's just for a, a short period of time, we come back up, but we don't really know what the flow to the brain is. Now we use some surrogates for that. We use cerebral oximetry. That mm -hmm. is, I believe it's become a standard. I yeah. think it is a standard. Um, I think that, you know, I've had some concerns about the use of it, but if you use it, you use it. If you don't use it, then you don't use it. But if you're not using that, then you're completely blind unless you're using transcranial Doppler, which would probably be a little bit better for flow. But again, flow in and of itself isn't the only thing. Mm -hmm. There's all kinds of other things. You could have flow, but if you have this, as you said, this inflammatory process that just goes, just happens, mm -hmm. how, how do we measure it? How do we, how do we address it? What do we do? Or do we just simply accept that the body for all intent and purposes and for the overwhelming majority of patients can simply adapt to it. Is that really where we're at? Are you asking me? Yes, I'm asking you, Tammy Sparacino. Um, I mean, I don't know how we could measure it, um, especially uh, surgery is such a um, small portion of time, even a long surgery. Um, how you would measure inflama uh, inflammation is you'd have to be running some kind of blood test. So you'd be drawing blood tests, sending them to the lab. I just don't think that that's very practical mm -hmm. for what we're doing, even in a six hour surgery, mm -hmm. right? And because even if you had that information, what are we going to do about it? We're not going to stop the surgery. Right. The insult is not over uh, until we're done. Right. Mm -hmm. We have to finish what we we came to do. And it probably lasts a little longer after that. Well, yes, because you have to wake up. I mean, the stress associated with waking well, up. Well, and I think I think it shows it does last at least four days because yes. people are often tested at that increment four days after. Mm -hmm. And you still see neurocognitive decline. Mm -hmm. So that mm -hmm. is caused by something. And if we have eliminated that. It, the overwhelming majority of it is some kind of particulate matter, you know, that has uh, caused loss of blood flow to the brain, which may An be, embolic event. Yeah, it may be sometime in our, you know, uh, not too far past of cardiopulmonary bypass, that was the overwhelming majority of what it was. Mm -hmm. But I think today that's unlikely that that's what it is most of the time. Yeah, true. And, uh, and also, based on your data, based on what you've elucidated for us today, it seems that the n amount of decline, which would be a clinical out, you know, a, an outcome that was clinically relevant. Right, right. right. You can measure, yeah, you have to measure it and right. score it. Right. That cardiopulmonary bypass, though, in my view, traumatic to people mm -hmm. is in and of itself no more traumatic than the surgery itself even if it were done without cardiopulmonary bypass that's what i understand yes you to say. that's exactly what they're saying and they're uh, what they also uh, i think kind of what their clever title uh is really trying to hit home is yes it is likely that there's pro-inflammatory going on which is destroying brain cells and there is a uh, cause and effect relationship, right, uh, with uh, 
losing brain cells or damaging brain cells and then neurocognitive decline and depressed neurogenesis to replace those nerve cells. Right, all of that's going on, and I don't think anyone would necessarily argue that. There's lots of studies, lots of papers that have been written on that. What's causing it, you know, we don't don't know exactly. We have some ideas. But what they're, I think what is um, unique about this paper is they're also talking about that the types of tests that we use post-surgery to test uh, neurocognitive um, dysfunction could also, they're, they're not specific enough to be able to, because uh, they're just questions, right? They can't tell what caused it. So maybe it was some of the pro-inflammatory destruction things, or maybe it's just that your whole mindset after a major surgery, you've you know, had anesthesia, you're in a place that you're not familiar with, all of those things also are very distractive. And stress-inducing. Right. But even just distraction, yeah, so, you distraction, know, right, yes. this phone, it keeps texting. And when you're talking to me, even though I'm paying attention to you, what am I doing? I'm, I'm glancing. I'm yes. seeing. Do I need to deal with this? That's distractive. And therefore, if you then asked me afterwards, what did we talk about? I likely missed some details. And if you looked at that alone and didn't know that I was distracted by my phone, you might think not paying attention or I might have some kind of neurocognitive dysfunction going on, right? And I think that's their point. It's very, it could be, um, this could be a part of what's going on. And if so, that makes a lot of sense on why it's reversible. Because being distracted doesn't cause brain damage, right? It, it, it's a temporary um, state that once you are not distracted anymore, you should have your full uh, cognitive function. Yeah, it's not, a, it's not a fair representation of actual capability. Right, exactly. Um, so I, I, I get that. That makes a lot of sense to me. Um, yeah, very good. Very interesting, I think. And I thought it was I think interesting. Very, um, very uh, positive for us and our profession yes. of perfusion. In fact, since we're on air, uh, I think you should tell uh, Dr. Bhatia right now, Devinder Bhatia, that the pump, the pump is your friend. Just go ahead and say it. Do it. Come on. Because I'm going to use you in my debate. I'm going to pull this recording out and use you the in my debate. The pump can de- be useful, um, and I do promote it. It is what I do. I. Um, but it doesn't mean it's uh, applicable to all patients mm-hmm. and all um, surgeons and their techniques. Well, I'm going to find a paper that says that neurocognitive decline is far worse with off-pump coronary than with on-pump coronary. I will find it's that It's going to be a great debate. We're, well, that's in June. That's yes? in June, yes, yeah. of 2023. That's correct. Okay, so um, do we have any questions from our audience? If we do, the phone line's open. You can see it there. And I, I, I know it's not going to ring. If it did, I would be shocked. I'd probably fall and out I, of my chair. And again, I know a lot of this is some high-level stuff. Dude, the, second, the second paper, it was not, over, not just over your pay grade. It was well over my pay grade, too. Very interesting, but it's not light reading. No. No, that's intense. Yeah, Very it's, much it's, so. it's pretty intense. And it, it's actually really, um, I thought it was really well written. So if, if you're into that sort of thing, you want to learn more about it, you want to stumble over some words, mm-hmm. then give this a read. Give this, give that a read. Yeah. So, so, so let me ask you this, if I can. But do you think, you know, now that you've done these, these journal clubs, 30, what was it, 29 of them? I think 31. 31 of them? Something like that. 31 journal clubs. Has this you know, been a value to you? 
I mean, for you, me personally, yes, yes, yeah, you personally, yeah. Um, well, I'm curious by nature, and um, you don't always make time to look into things that are outside of your everyday. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, this journal club uh, gives me an avenue and a motivation to do that. Mm -hmm. And I'm hoping that's what it does for other people. You may not think that this paper or the other paper or whatever that I've talked about is specifically useful or interesting to you, but I hope that at minimum it sparks interest in something I may have said or made you think of something else and then that you are able to go investigate it. Because that's, after reading all of this, I want to know all about uh, pro-inflammatories. Mm -hmm. I just, I want to, I know some about it, uh, but it's been a long time since I looked into it, and now I'm curious. And mm -hmm. then that led me to, I wonder how much distraction in modern life and how that affects just our abilities and everything, how we um, interact with other people, how we parent, how we um, do our jobs. I think that's all very interesting. I think it is, too. That's a very, very good, uh, those are, that's a very good point. That is how I feel as well. I've learned more since we started this program mm -hmm. than I ever thought I would learn. And it's taught me the one thing that probably has taught you the same is I, I, don't, I don't know as much as I thought. <laughs> what I know you can fit in a bowl that you water that screaming goat with. <laughs> hey, you know what? Hey, you, have you seen this? You haven't seen it. Have you? Show tap. Hey, everybody, if anybody calls in, you, I told you, if you call in right now, you're going to get 10 spins. Otherwise, you just get this. <laughs> you haven't seen that? No. Anytime somebody says something that, like, come on, really? Like, somebody says something, you get that. You got the screaming goat. Yeah, I notice it's only directed, like, when you speak. You should really flip that goat around so it faces you. It's never going to be addressing me. <laughs> <laughs> Probably so. I just think it's the script. It's a good. It's a good tool to use for when we have a panel, maybe more people. Yes. As we move forward, and you know how sometimes somebody says something, and you're like, yes. I don't know that I. Yeah. There we go. See, even David knows when we have to do it. All right. Very good. Okay. How about uh, let's spin the wheel. We're gonna do we have spin some the wheel. Questions? We don't. We don't have any questions. We have no questions. Who am I gonna spin it for? We're gonna spin it for you. I We're going to spin it. You know what? Let's spin it for David. David never gets anything. Does David want anything on here? Huh? Probably. Let's see. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. That's enough. That's enough. I've, given, you know, I've created a monster here. Okay. Let's get Come on, the wheel. Let's do the, let's do the wheel. All right. We've got to do the wheel. You know, Aswani Sur oh, Suradron is watching. Sarani uh, or Aswani, ask, a ask anything. Okay. If you do, just say hi. Just All right, this is going to be for Aswani, unless we hear nothing, and then it'll be for David. So okay. let's see what David's going to get. Oh, David, I'm sorry. Oh, thank goodness. Yay, a cop. He doesn't get, he doesn't get an aortic dissection. I can't believe it. I already had one of those this week. Yes, you Enough. did. You did. You did. And, uh, okay, very good. So we'll see you all. Uh, May 24th, maybe? <sighs> 21st. Let's see. May 21st. Let me pull it up. Right before Schedule. Memorial Day, we've got a couple programs. 
Yes. So April. So this is April. We done May twenty fourth, twenty fifth, and twenty sixth. What's on the twenty first? Yes, on the twenty first is going to be. Oh, we're gonna have Tabby here from Thailand. Oh, May. And yes, she's gonna be yeah, visiting. Yeah, May twenty first. It's gonna be on a Saturday morning. It's gonna be great. I need to get that up. I need to. It's get not the, on the schedule. Get right it now. submitted. Right. Yeah. Figure out what it is. And uh, we're gonna do. Uh, we're gonna have uh, her give a lecture here, especially for her peeps in Thailand. And uh, we're going to have um, her. You know, we're gonna have a great discussion with her, and then we're gonna have a great crawfish boil. We're gonna invite a whole bunch of people. We'll have a good time. And anybody out there in Web World that may want to come uh, to the studio, to the studio, and be part of the studio audience. Uh, and join us with uh, meeting everybody, just reach out to me at contact at perfusioneducation.com and we will work that out with you. So we're looking forward to the 21st and then the 24th, 25th, and 26th for you're going to be doing perioperative stroke before yes. cardiac surgery. Yes. Does not increase postoperative stroke. We're going to do a fireside chat with uh, Matt Warhoover and we're actually calling it, what are we calling it again? Five alarm chat conversations at the inferno and that's going to be on dcd organ availability and work-life imbalance yeah notice how i put it that way yes and then on the next day the 26th we're doing a fireside chat disparities in ecmo outcomes and this is going to be very interesting too because i recently read another article where their vb ecmo uh rate of survival was about 50 percent maybe a little under and i had showed you that other one where it was 90 percent and then we've patient seen selection you, yes preferential patient there's a selection. lot of there's a lot of information in here that i find fascinating their average time on ecmo was only 14 days oh for vb that's nothing and like what so, we saw but there's a but but if you look at the diagnoses of the reason they were on ECMO. Well, I've got the article. I don't want to say too much about it, but it's going to be a very interesting fireside chat with some provocative data that I think will be very important for everybody to hear. And we're still working on our outcomes, I believe. We're mm -hmm. still trying to get that mm -hmm. done. I know I gave you that list. Mm -hmm. um, and I know it's been busy, so we haven't had a chance to really get into that. But we do need that. I do want to get that by May 26th. Yes, yeah, so you can. can present it. Yes, absolutely. Yes, please. Okay, thank you all very much. We will see you on the 21st. It's not on the web yet, but it will be, and everybody will be sending and invitations. We will have a special guest of honor. Special guest coming from Thailand. Uh, here, so Tabby, uh, uh, her 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 name is Super Porn. I, I yes, I don't, I don't know, know if we that say I say her name right, but so she is our dear friend will... uh, from afar, and we're looking forward to meeting her in person. Absolutely, so I'm looking forward to that. Okay, thank you, everyone. See you. Peace out.